This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. Almost everyone out there is hoping that there's some kind of return to normal by August, September. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Mike Lynch. And we're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to explore the big money issues in the world of sports, talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we're chatting with David Wright. He's the Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer over at Minor League Baseball. David, really nice to have you with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy Monday. And to you. Uh, You know, all the days sort of blend together here. There are headlines constantly. And the headlines, let's just jump right into it, for Minor League Baseball, really sad uh, these days. Tell us how we got to this point. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I could say we planned it all out, and it's going exactly how we've planned. I think if you look at our industry, you know, these are clearly unprecedented times, and and so you you kind of make it up as you go and and make the best decisions you can and and for us you know about a week ago we made the tough decision um that there'd be no MILB season in 2020 so um now i guess the silver lining is we had we had been uh managing the business for uh, a while under that worst case scenario that we saw play out um, but it doesn't lessen the blow, and and yeah, I think the overarching sadness that's felt throughout baseball and specifically throughout the minor league baseball ecosystem, um, you know, there's a level of finality. Now it's all about how do we maximize the balance of 2020 and and get after it so that when we return in 2021, we come back with a big bang. David, we talked last week with Trevor Bauer, and uh, he had mentioned about the question of the future of minor league baseball, and he had many concerns, the Cincinnati pitching ace, about the problems for some minor league baseball teams. Will they ever come back after this pandemic? If I can ask your thoughts, sir, about that. Yeah, again, I think from a macro standpoint, I think our industry, our sport industry, is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. Um, and, and that doesn't discriminate. So it doesn't matter what sport or, or area of the business you're in. Um, I think when we come out the other side, the industry is going to look a lot different. You know, minor league baseball is unique. We have 160 clubs in 42 states um, that really are the front porch of their local community. Um, and, and when you look at the business, you know, it's, it's widely reported between 80 and 90 percent of local revenue is tied to to game dates and it being 75 and sunny. Uh, so I think I think you're you're seeing our clubs get really creative as they think about the business today and equally as important going forward. I think you're going to see uh, the business be forced to diversify, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and we'll see where we net out. I think everyone is completely focused on how do we maximize 2020 under these tough circumstances and, and rebuild as we, as we head into 2021. Um, and I think it's going to vary by market, but I got to tell you, 
we have some of the smartest, most accomplished sports executives in the business that are waking up thinking about minor league baseball every single day. Uh, and, and with that, I like our chances and, and, and like some of the early signs. David, before the uh, pandemic uh, really just got out of control, Major League Baseball was talking about uh, cutting 40 to 42 clubs already. Has that idea been put on hold? You know, there's a lot of, of really smart people, much more qualified than I, that are much closer to those conversations. I mean, all I can say is, you know, we've had an, an incredible relationship with MLB for generations. I don't see that discontinuing. Um, there's a lot of productive conversations being had, and where that nets out, I think, remains to be seen. Um, you know, we're, we're focused on today and maximizing the realities of today as we build for the future. So, David, talk to us about some of those conversations that, that you're having, because obviously a lot of your work is tied up in exactly what you said, this sort of the front porch of the local community, which I'm totally going to use. That's such a great line. Um, <laughs> but when you think about sort of the conversations that you're having, either in terms of how to keep fans engaged, how to keep local businesses engaged who rely on the stadiums and the games and the fans for business. What does that look like? What What's sort of the, the, the short-term triage, I guess, that you are helping the teams with? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, we, we really, a defining moment for MILB was on March 12th. March 12th is when we initially announced that we would be delaying the start of the season. Um, and that really uh, set, a, set us down a certain path. Uh, and, and it, quite frankly, very quickly forced us to look at our business very differently. Now, we had already started to do a lot of behind-the-scenes work and preparation. We knew there was some stuff going on as early as January uh, as it relates to COVID-19. Um, but it was a real defining moment on March 12th. And from that moment forward, you know, we've had to look at the business differently and, and really approach all of our different stakeholders, um, you know, under a different light. You know, so one of those stakeholders, obviously, are strategic partners. You know, we've been very fortunate over the last number of years to amass an incredible portfolio of industry-leading brands that have bought into the vision of minor league baseball that are investing in our growth. And we've chosen to be very proactive and very transparent and proactive. When I say proactive, if they're asking questions, if Nationwide is coming to us wanting to know what's going on, we're late. So I think that commitment to being proactive with our national partners is really important. And similarly, our commitment to be transparent. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, while the formal announcement that we would have no season um, was really a kind of a, a kick in the gut, we had been managing against the worst case scenario for some time and have been having those conversations with partners, um, you know, so that if we do not have a season, this is what the relationship looks like. Let's think about that. Let's, let's reimagine those partnership frameworks. Um, and, and, you know, that's exactly what we did. And I think to a partner, I think they've appreciated how proactive we've been, how transparent we've been, um, as we think about, you know, how we maximize the balance of the year. Another, obviously, really important key stakeholder are our clubs. You know, the rubber meets the road in 160 markets. Uh, again, 
my favorite line, front porch of the community. I mean, the relevance of our clubs in the local market is second to none. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the, 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 the ballpark serve is as that front porch. And if you don't have live events, you got to think differently about how you engage with your fans. And so it's things like um, fireworks shows. You probably saw the incredible innovation of Pensacola with the Blue Wahoos and, and how they're now working with Airbnb um, for their ballpark. So there are countless examples of our clubs getting really creative to think differently on how they engage with their fans, uh, which is really important because what you don't want is you don't want to go dark because this will pass. We don't know exactly when, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later, but this will pass. And the work that we do today is really important and will tee us up for success as we think forward. We're speaking with David Wright, the Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer at Minor League Baseball. And I know there are more serious topics to talk about, but one of the things I love about Minor League Baseball are those wild promotions that you see in the stands where you got people throwing foam balls in a moving car with the sunroof open. And if you get it in the car it, with your name on it, of course, you, you win something. Or, you know, some little kid running out in center field and he's got to run back and, and pick something up, whatever. Those special attractions mean a lot to minor league baseball. And I hope that minor league baseball keeps that in the future. No question. And I think, you know, we – we learned a long time ago that um, the, the importance of understanding your consumer and, you know, a large percentage of our fans are engaging with MILB for reasons other than the game itself. Now, we have a, a very important and growing core of fans that are, they're, you know, following the next Aaron Judge, but a very large percentage are there for what you just described. They're there for what goes on in between innings. They're there because it's a communal environment. They're there for the access. They're there because they can go with friends and family and not break the bank. And that's really important. And, you know, that's a, that's a, a commitment that MILB has made to those local communities. And it's a model that's worked. And, you know, I often um, make the analogy that, you know, minor league baseball is to sports what craft beer is to the beer industry, meaning Mm. your experience in Lansing is much different than it is in Charleston, than it is in Hillsboro, than it is in El Paso. And that's what makes it special. You know, it's not necessarily, um, you know, that exact same experience. It's really catered to that local market, which is really special. And I think has resonated to the masses in, in the form of, you know, 41 and a half million people attended minor league baseball games in 2019, second only to major league baseball. And, and by the way, represented the only major sport property in North America to actually see an increase in attendance, uh, which again speaks to the incredible work being done across these 160 markets and how they uh, have, have driven relevance in their local community. David, you use the word relevance, and uh, the worst word you can use in any business or any relationship is irrelevant. And from the end of the 2019 season to now, the beginning of the 2021 season, we're looking at it you know, more than a year and a half or so. And, and, and w- w- tell me about the how do you stay relevant for that sort of, well, we, well, we've got our finger on the pause button for that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it's, it's – um... It's a challenge that every sport property is forced to face. 
And I think, you know, I'm really encouraged by the early signs of some of our efforts. You know, and I'll give you an example, guys. April 9th was to be our opening day. And as you guys know all too well, and baseball opening day is a really important milestone. It's a celebration for the sport. Um, well, guess what? We didn't have games. Uh, so we very quickly pivoted, and we made the decision, while we're not going to have physical games, how do we aggregate the masses? How do we still celebrate uh, this incredible opportunity, but maybe in a different light? And so we created MILB at Home Opener, which was nine hours of virtual content. So nine hours that spoke to minor league baseball. It was all about those crazy promotions, those wacky logos, that incredible food that you experience. It was an opportunity to support what our clubs are doing locally, which is really important. It was an opportunity to engage our strategic partners. So all of our partners were tied in an authentic and unique way. And it was an opportunity to engage with our fans because you're exactly right. You do not want to go dark. You've got to stay top of mind. You've got to continue to innovate, to engage with your consumers so that when you do come back, uh, you come back with a, with a bang. And, and I'm, I'm really encouraged. Guys, if you were to tell me going into MILB at home opener on April 9th that our social and digital metrics in 2020 would have outperformed our 2019 opening night uh, uh, platform when we actually had games, there's no way I would have believed you, but that's exactly what happened. And I think it's a credit to the innovation. It's a credit to the creativity and clearly a credit to, you know, when you can get 160 clubs rowing in the same direction, uh, the scale is, is pretty impressive and, and the metrics support that. And it was a great win, great win for minor league baseball. And so, David, let's talk about the fans a little bit. I, I love the craft beer analogy, uh, and obviously from market to market, the fans are very different. Um, but tell us about the demographics of, of your fans, because obviously that's incredibly important as you go out on behalf of the league and try and do big partnerships and, and whatnot. And, and what are some of the trends that you've seen in terms of who's into minor league baseball? You know, guys, I think, I think the, the simplest way to describe MILB is we, we really are a cross-section of the U.S. Hmm. and our loan team in Vancouver. When you think about 159 communities in the U.S., um, you know, we have 111 million self-designated fans. So these are fans that have, that have opted to show their support for MILB. As I mentioned earlier, we have 41.5 million people going through turnstile a year. Um, so the scale is enormous. And I think what you are starting to see more and more is the local club in said market is very representative of that market. And as you guys know all too well, you know, El Paso is very different than Columbus, Ohio. Um, but I think that's really important because I think – um, if, if for anyone that's an MILB fan, you know that diversity and inclusion is critically important and is really core to who we are. Um, you know, we've, I think, been a leader in embracing inclusion, and I've been very public in saying I actually think MILB has the opportunity to be the most inclusive sport property around, and we're starting to see some really positive signs. So I would tell you that, you know, generally speaking, MILB is a cross-section of, of the country from a demography standpoint. I'm sure there are certain markets where you, you 
you probably want it to be a little bit more represented, but we're seeing those gaps close, and we're seeing those gaps close very quickly. Um, and I think you'll see us continue to lean in um, to diversity and inclusion, you know, not only in terms of, um, you know, the thousands of people that, that are part of the MILB ecosystem from a, from a work standpoint. It starts there. But then how do you translate that to ensure that 160 of your clubs are incredibly representative of their local communities? And we, we, a number of years ago, kind of put a line in the sand that by 2026, we wanted to eclipse 50 million attendees. Now, that's a lofty goal, and I can't sit here today and say that we're going to get there. But um, obviously, we've had a little hiccup in 2020. But what I can say is I think, I think we're going to get pretty darn close. And a big part of you know, why we've had the success that we've had um, is because we're so inclusive and we're so accessible. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your sexual orientation. Um, minor league baseball is for everyone, and I think that's really important. And when you when you think about sport, and you know, you, you guys, I'm sure have talked to a lot of other properties. You know, maintaining that fan experience is so critically important. There's nothing that that, that substitutes the the sounds and the smells and, and the sights that you see when you when you engage with sport live. Um, for us to be up 2.6 percent year over year in 2019, I think speaks to the efforts that. MILB and 160 clubs have made. Um, by the way, at a time when sport is is seen either static or in some cases a decline from an attendance standpoint. So it's something we're keenly focused on, and I think being representative of our markets is a, is a huge priority and something that has, has built well for us. A lot of changes are taking place in major sports with nicknames. Uh, just recently, just today, the Washington Redskins will lose the name Redskins. The Cleveland Indians uh, are debating about changing the name Indians. Uh, There was criticism from Native Americans. Uh, Your thoughts about the name changes uh, for the nicknames of some of these teams, if I may ask. Yeah, I I can't necessarily comment about the specific examples. What, What I can say from where I sit is that you know, I think I think sport um, has, for a long time and continues to be, and even more so now, a catalyst for change. Um, and I think uh, sport in our culture is so critically important and sets the tone for so many things. And I think what we are experiencing today and the platforms that we're seeing bubble up, um, you know, is is I think a, a great example of the power of sport, and I think uh, organizations, whether it's in sport or out, um, need to commit to evolving. You know, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Um, if you don't evolve over time, you will eventually become irrelevant. And again, it doesn't matter what business you're in. Once you become irrelevant, oof, that's a that's a tough day. And so I think um, the latest examples are great examples of, of organizations um, really taking a hard look at their business and understanding that, you know, 2020 is, is a new day, and that's a good thing. And as we think to the future, um, I think you'll see sport continue to be a catalyst for change, um, you know, as we look to the future. 
David, uh, you talked about the fan experience, and we know that uh, the Blue Wahoos down in Pensacola have this great idea we talked about on a show uh, a, a few months ago. Uh, people coming in can play in the ballpark and sleep overnight. Um, the Lowell Spinners up here have uh, set up a uh, target golf course. Uh, they, you hit off the roof to a portable green out in the field. The Pawtucket Red Sox uh, have uh, dining tables throughout the ballpark in the outfield and the infield. What are some of the more uh, uh, creative ideas that some of the clubs are doing right now to keep people coming into the ballpark, even though there's no baseball being played? Well, I think the Airbnb one is maybe in a league of its own, I think. Um, you know, they have done an incredible job. Bubba Watson, you may or may not know, is is the primary owner there. Um, and, and just an incredible example of, um, you know, innovating and thinking about your business a little bit differently. I mean, guys, there are dozens upon dozens of examples. You know, a character cruise through in Lehigh, um, you know, drive-in fireworks, movie nights, you know, all of our clubs are looking at ways to, to engage, you know, with their fans in a unique and different way. The other thing I'd say, and, and you know, is really core to MIOB, just it's in our DNA, it's, is how do you give back to the community? So we launched uh, about six weeks ago MILB Community First in partnership with Feeding America. Actually, it was closer to eight weeks ago. You know, with schools being out, you know, a large percentage, unfortunately, of school children rely on their school days for meals. And with schools being shuttered and, and kids having to go virtual, you know, unfortunately, a large percentage of those kids weren't getting the nutrition um, that they're used to getting at school. And so in partnership with Feeding America and over 100 of our clubs, we bonded together to raise funds. And in some cases, our clubs actually used their ballparks as safe places to distribute food. And when you think about it, you've already got the facilities. You're already producing food. In some cases, you already have food that you had on order. Uh, because you're planning for games. So it's a great way uh, to think differently. It's also a great way to give back in a really authentic and meaningful way in local communities. So i got to tell you, one of the silver linings and one of the, the really cool things, you know, clearly these are unprecedented, really tough times, but to see how our clubs have come together and see how they've thought differently and in many cases uh, thought differently in a way to do good in their local community, which is so important during times of need. Uh, David, one last question for you, just because I, I don't want to overlook the vast expertise you have as a soccer guy. I mean, you played soccer uh, in college, didn't work for MLS for a long time. MLS in the midst of, you know, their noble experiment down there in Florida, not too far uh, from where you are, I believe. Uh, what do you make, what have you learned from watching other sports at this point and maybe especially MLS, given your intimate knowledge there? Well, it's interesting. I think um, leadership really matters. And leadership matters during the good times. And it's critically important during the tough times. And if you think back to early March, and when Adam Silver and the NBA made the decision to suspend the season, think about what happened. That decision really started uh, what then led to all the other major properties looking inward and making the tough decision as well. So it's a huge credit to Adam 
It's a huge credit to the NBA um, for being innovators and leaders. And I think you've seen that play out. And, you know, I think uh, what's going on in, in Orlando, it's a scary time, but I got to tell you, if there was an organization that's going to pull it off, um, Adam and, and the NBA uh, would be an organization I have you know, close to the top of the list. MLS, you know, I was there, very fortunate to be there for 15 years um, at a time when, you know, there, we, we, were, we were hustling. You know, we were building. Yeah. You know, early on in my career, it was there wasn't a day that went by where people were questioning the viability of the league. You know, fast forward now, the league has never been more healthy. Um, obviously, expansion has been widely talked about. Franchise values are through the roof. The quality of play continues to increase. Um, and MLS has has found their way in part because they've out hustled and out innovated. And I think what you're seeing take place in Orlando over the last couple of days and what will continue for weeks to come is a great example of, of, of Don Garber and, and, and his executive team um, continuing that, that string. And um, then you layer on what they're doing. So not only is playing uh, a, a milestone in and of itself, but how they've leaned in the technology, um, how they're reimagining the viewership experience, recognizing, okay, we don't have fans. How can we... How can we create excitement in other unique ways? Um, and it's been really fun to see. And as someone who's, who's looking at it from a fan perspective, um, I give them a ton of credit, and, and it's going to be fun to see play out um, over the next number of weeks. Absolutely. It feels like uh, everybody's looking at everybody else and trying to pick out uh, the best ideas. All right, David Wright, thank you so much. Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer for Minor League Baseball joining us on the phone on this Monday. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back at a minor league ballpark uh, sometime in 21 because I think we all know, guys, it's a really fun experience. I've been to a lot of minor league games over the course of my time. Dollar beer. I'm sorry. I say that out loud. (laughs) All right. David, thank you so much. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. You can catch our podcast right here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. Later this week, we'll catch up with Premier Lacrosse League co-founder and top player Paul Rabel. I am Big Bar Sports on Twitter. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at LynchyWCVB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.